Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast based on projections, episode 48. I'm your host, Pavel Braminski, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Jason Pereira. Jason is president of Financial Planning Association of Canada, senior financial consultant with Woodgate Financial Inc., and IPC Securities Corp., and is one of the Canada's most respected authorities on financial planning, the industry, and financial technology. He is a graduate of the Schulich School of Business MBA's program, where he now teaches classes in financial planning. Apart from that, Jason has also been awarded seven industry designations, including the CFA, CFP, and RFP. He has won and been named as a finalist for several industry awards and is the only three-time winner of the Plus Global Financial Planning Awards. In addition, Jason holds a diverse number of other positions, including various board positions, his own startup, and has recently launched his own podcast called Fintech Impact. I should probably change that, not recently. It's been about a year and a half, Jason, right? Almost at 100 episodes. <laughs> exactly. So, Jason, welcome to the show. I should also say welcome back to the show. Been, uh, Thank you. Yeah, so super exciting. This is going to be a special episode. I'm really interested in diving a little deeper here. So, but you know, let's let's just uh, for for the people. There may be some people in the industry who don't know about you. So, tell me <laughs> a little bit a little bit about your firm. So, what do you do and who do you serve? Well, I'm more humble as to believe that there's many people who don't know who I am. So, no, I am a financial planner first and foremost, and I am a partner in a firm called Woodgate Financial in Toronto that's associated with IPC Securities. And our focus is, like many, basically on comprehensive financial planning that basically gets people everything they want out of life. And we make sure we deliver that in a modular process that delivers a, for lack of a better term, award-winning comprehensive financial plan that then parlays into a comprehensive investment management review, insurance, tax, and estate plan reviews. I specifically tend to specialize in the more advanced cases around corporations and more recently cross-border. And actually, one of the things I do hold is a U.S. CFP as well. So it's a small club in that category. That's fantastic. Okay. So as I mentioned, this is going to be a special episode. We're going to talk a little bit of different topics. So if anyone wants to listen to about you know how you run your business, how you make decisions, what's your process, what's your what's what are your metrics around clients and AUM and all the good things like that, they can go back to the episode number 006 and they can listen to that interview. But today I want to talk about Financial Planning Association of Canada and you're president of the association. So tell me, what is Financial Planning Association of Canada? The uh, Financial Planning Association of Canada or FPAC is a very, very new association that is uh, scheduled to launch in the uh, third week of November, which um, hopefully this launches around the same time. And essentially what it's born out of is born out of the frustration of both myself and a handful of other advisors who were getting tired of the status quo in Canada. We basically are a, con- a country that until you, well, let me take a step back, until you actually travel to other conferences around the world and see how things are evolving in the US, Australia, the UK, South Africa, and even some developing markets, you don't quite understand just how far behind Canada is in terms of the development of its financial planning infrastructure and, and the industry as a whole. And I and many others have become aware of this uh, and seeing that the conversation in Canada around development and change of regulation is, has been stalled for a very long time. 
And a lot of the changes that get tabled end up being cursory and not sufficient. So many of us have come together and said, you know what, there's no one speaking out for those of us who want to see this turn from an industry that was born in sales and is still very heavily sales-based into a true profession. And what we mean by that is that, you know, little kids go to school and they will say that they want to be a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant. You know, by the time they hit high school, they have some indication. Whereas they hear the term financial planner and they have no idea what it means. And when you think about the incredible positive change we can affect in people's lives, that is truly a tragedy. So really, this is a coming together of like-minded individuals who want to see the professionalization of, of planning in Canada and to basically move this industry and this country forward. Thank you for that. So this is great background. So I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, I'm really interested in basically and see how this is going to unfold. But So am I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And I think this is, I mean, this is, first of all, I mean, this is incredible initiative. And I wanted to applaud you for what, you, what you're doing, because there's a lot of hard work in launching anything from zero, especially something like association. But let's break this down. Let's just talk a little bit about, you know, what are the big components of, of FPAC? And what is the goal? Like, what, what are some of the key elements that you're thinking that we should actually establish to basically bring, as you mentioned, a differential planning profession to the level of, for example, a regular doctor, accountant, and a lawyer? Uh, well, so basically, the it's a pretty loaded question because there's a large charter support supporting this, which I encourage anyone who's interested to take the time to read. But really, this again comes down to its core professionalization. And we looked at looked at the industry, looked at other industries, looked at other associations around the world, and said, okay, you know, what does it take to basically turn this into a true profession? And really, what that is, and really what that's going to re- include involve is the development of various aspects of the ecosystem. So, what does that mean? It means that we basically need to set higher more professional standards for competency, for education, for for designation, for disclosure, for and and, and basically for what it is we do. So, for example, like one, one of the ways I like to short form this is to say, you know, this is this is an organization. This is an association that stands first and foremost for professionalization and the fiduciary and fiduciary level financial planning that is evidence based. So, we want to get a couple things down. We want to we want to basically raise the bar so that the when someone carries a CFP RFP or whatever it is, Mark, there is no question that someone calling themselves a financial planner is someone who can deliver and provide sound financial planning advice to Canadians. This is not just a cursory rubber stamp or, you know, in the, in the case of most provinces right now, uh, anyone can call themselves anything. So frankly, anyone calling themselves a financial planner right now could have the greatest qualifications in the world or basically nothing. So building that up, building up the regulatory bodies and the and the regulations that basically would need to support and protect that environment is also usually important. We, we I said, use the word fiduciary standard because this is at the core of it. You know, if you were to pull aside the average Canadian and ask, do you think you your financial advisor, financial planner has a legal responsibility to act in your best interest, you know, the average person would say either yes, or I hope so, right? Like that's the reality of it. Because, you know, especially when we're holding ourselves out as people who are there to help them, right? You go into a car to buy a car, you know, that person's there to help you buy the car, right? You go to help, go to someone asking to help you plan your life. You know, that is, that should be a very, very, (laughs) very high standard for us delivering what is in their best interest. But unfortunately, in in this country, Country, the answer is it's not. There is no fiduciary standard. At best, some of the associations have imposed some sort of standard like the uh, CF, the FP Canada's uh, duty of care to the client, but it doesn't hold the same legal weight as a fiduciary standard, which 
we're starting to see happen around the world, including the US, where the CFP board recently imposed upon their entire CFP body a fiduciary standard as of October 1st. So that is for that is one of the other core uh, tent pegs. And then the last part of it comes down to being evidence-based. There is way, way too many rules of thumb or random things done here that in this industry. And you know, we, we see this nonsense, like the you know, 100 minus your age rule or any number of other like just heuristics for how we get things done. That's not financial planning. Financial planning is having a comprehensive idea or not idea, comprehensive proven system for, for basically saying, okay, I've modeled out your life. You want to make a change. Let's look at how that change affects your baseline, right? Where's the needs analysis? So everything that you do in this industry, frankly, should have something backing it up saying that I did my homework. I basically made this recommendation because it is absolutely in the fiduciary level, best interest of the client. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to say, okay, we need to create an environment that's like that. So we have outlined what the end state should look like in terms of, like I said, regulation, compensation, disclosures, acceptable forms of compensation for that matter, and you name it. And we basically said, here's what we want. This is the end state, the world we want to create. And we know we can't get there tomorrow. And we can't impose this on people tomorrow because, you know, frankly, we're missing technology providers, for example, <laughs> to basically get to a certain <laughs> level, regulators, tax code, you know, basically law to get to a certain level. So it's going to take time to get there. But what we are saying is that if you're going to be a, a member of this association, you're not operating and our current minimum standard basically imposes a fiduciary a pledge from day one. So you are pledging from day one, you're going to act as a fiduciary to your clients. And then it gives you 24 months to get up to par with the rest of the uh, other uh, objectives that we, uh, we've outlined. So actually, one of the other things that's immediate is a ban on deferred sales charge and, and, uh, and low load commission compensation. So that is off the table if you're a member. And then beyond that, you know, we basically say you need to start taking an evidence-based approach to everything. So you recommend your portfolio. Where is the where is the risk tolerance questionnaire that basically backs this up? And not one that was created by a marketing department, but one that's actually based in sound science. Where is the needs analysis on insurance? Where is the financial plan saying do this versus that? So we're imposing the evidence-based requirement early uh, from uh, from early on, but we're giving people 24 months to ratchet their practice and change their practice to the level where they can get to there. And then after 24 months, guess what we're doing? That bar is being raised again. And that's going to be a continuous cycle until the current state meets the end state, or at least so is my hope. Okay, perfect. So we mentioned several things here. So I mean, first of all, I don't think we're going to cover all the different aspects in the conversation today, but you mentioned charter. And I think as of this morning, there's 37 pages of charter and there's a lot of detail and we will link it out here in, in the show notes. You mentioned evidence-based. I mean, that's, yeah, we'll come back to it. But before, before even just getting into some of the more specific goals, Let's talk about ecosystem. You know, what other organizations do we have in Canada? I mean, there's this is not, a, of course, not the first one. So, I mean, you could probably partner up with some of them. And this was probably your consideration, you know. Oh, yeah, it was. Why you decided to basically that we should probably, you should probably launch a new association versus partnering up with existing players. Yeah, so this was one of the questions that I, I got frequently early on. And I'll be honest with you, when, when this was actually born out of a trip to the FPA conference in the U.S., where I came back. The only time I come back to Canada ashamed of my homeland is when I go to conferences elsewhere in the world and I see that we are falling behind even, even developing markets like India when it comes to industry reg regulation and reform. So frankly, I came back beside myself and, and a lot of people, we had, we, we talk, I talked to a lot of people what we're going to do and we didn't really want to start another association because we typically feel there's, there's a lot of them already. 
Right. We started, but when we broke it down, there was no other way to affect change to the degree that we wanted to. So yeah, there's other associations out there. One of the ones, let me clarify one thing. One that's not an association is FP Canada. The, the right. ones, the association, well, the, the group that basically uh, bestows the CFP marks. People get this often confused. They'll say, I'm a member of the CFP, uh, of FP Canada. Yeah, it's like saying you're a member of the Bar Association if you're a lawyer. Like you don't really have a choice if you want to be a CFP, right? But they're not a member body. Right. And that's what we're trying to create. We're trying to create the member body that basically is going to push for active change. So there's a couple other players out there. Frankly, you know, I'm not going to badmouth any of them, but one has lobbied against a lot of the things we stand for. So that was a non starter. Another one was basically primarily edu- concerned with education. Fine. That's what they want to do. No problem. And the other one, which I will call out, is, uh, is the IAFP, which is on the board of that one. And I feel very strongly that that is a great group. But the bar is set very high for that group. You know, that's a very difficult example which I'm not saying people can't pass, but I'm also saying that, but the other criteria is peer reviewed financial plans. So you got to be at a certain level as a planner in order to get there. So I like to say they're like the green berets of financial planning. We need something to get everybody to a level equivalent to that. Right. And that's really what FPAC is about is about raising the bar across the industry and and bringing people up and helping them basically get to that level. Makes sense. So let's talk about the ecosystem a little bit more. So how, you know, there is, I know that there's some similarities from previous conversations that we had uh, between financial planning associations in different countries, for example, US, Australia. And uh, I, I think there's, there's a certain model that, that you think could work here in Canada. How do you envision work FPAC working with, for example, FP Canada and other parts of the uh, ecosystem? Yeah. So essentially, when you look around the world, you kind of have a you have a multi a multi level approach, right? So you typically see a three legged stool of regulation, certifying bodies, and membership bodies, right? So you have the in the in the U.S. you have the SEC, and then you have the CFP board, and then you have several membership bodies, and then there are several are great, and several have the <laughs> bad things going. Them, but the biggest one is the is the Financial Planning Association. Another one that's a standout is um, is NAPFA, the National Association of Professional Financial Advisors. And that one, the key difference being there being fee based is a criteria. But the point is, is that we we looked at that uh, ecosystem and said, look, things are working really well in the states. You know, there's a lot of there's a couple of groups that are speaking on behalf of advisors very strongly, and believe it or not, suing regulators who fail to basically lift the bar. You know, recently it was a controversy over um, the fiduciary rule in the U.S. and how the Department of Labor could have imposed it across everybody. Instead, the SEC basically created something called Reg, Reg BI, which was a watered down thing. I'm not going to get into it, but they're currently being sued by several industry associations because advisors do not want to see the, the, the waters murky and want a clear definition of who a, who a fiduciary is and who isn't. So you look at that versus Canada where it's like, we can't even ban deferred sales charge 10 years after the, after the UK did. It's literally been over 10 years now, right? And okay. you know, we, we're, not even, we're not even having a, a conversation about fiduciary structures, right? So the question is, is that some, there's, there's, a, there's a problem, there's a gap. There's not a large enough member body that speaks for advisors trying to drive the profession forward. That's the honest truth in, my, in our opinion. So we want to be that. And we basically, the charter is a filtering mechanism. If you believe in what we believe, we're an advisor who wants to ride out the last five, 10 years of their career, sell deferred compensation, the deferred sales charge, everything, not disclose compensation and do the bare minimum, great. You don't have to join because you, you don't want to cut a check to people who are trying to destroy your way of life, quite honestly, in a, in a very positive way because it's for the betterment of Canadians. <laughs> Right. I mean, this is a this is a long term approach, and this is something that's hopefully is going to you know, completely change or 
really supportive change in the evolution of the Canadian financial service industry. I mean, because you're you're offering support to advisors. Let's we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. There is advocacy element, right? There is working with regulators. Uh, so I mean, there's. I was very impressed how much thought went into the design of the association charter so far. And you know, we were talking even before the public lunch. So this is this is great. But okay, so we talked a little bit about ecosystem. I think that makes sense. So. We have to look from you know the perspective of consumers and from the perspective of advisors how this works. So let's start with consumers. I mean, like what's because that's the that's the core of the frustration, as I understand it for you, right? What are the benefits really of this of the existence of this association for consumers, Canadian consumers? Well, we are definitely going to get out there and advocate to understand for people to understand what financial planning is because people have no idea what it is, right? And and it's unfortunate because again, when you travel to the U.S. or Australia, you're seeing this. You know, these and these countries have hit flywheels. Like they're, you know, the understanding of what planning is and can do for you is reached is reaching the public consciousness. And because of that, the demand for those services is increasing. And it's increasing the number of people coming to the industry with the right criteria and the right intent. So we need to start that flywheel here. So for the public, first thing we gotta do is educate. You know, it's not this is not about how much you put in your RSP on right before the deadline, right? This is about holistically looking at your entire life and making the most of it. And in a lot of ways, helping you self-actualize the life that you want to have, right? So educating them that this is this is planning at its best. And there are people who can do that sort of thing, right? And unfortunately, the current system, you know, leaves it up to people's individual benevolence, whether or not they, they go to that level. But we need to basically create a group of people that can say, hey, this is a place where, you know, these people claim to stand by this, right? And they only that, these people are all signing off on a pledge every year saying that they're going to act as a fiduciary on my behalf. Now, I can't legally enforce that as, as president of association. But what I can do is that if you violate any of these principles and the clients report back to us, guess what? You're out. And we're not considering you to get back in, right? Like this. So how much thought, let's talk about the enforcement for a second, right? Because, you know, how you're going to actually think, you know, how you're thinking about enforcing it, right? Because again, as you said, I mean, you can legally do much. We can control our own membership, right? We can control who's a member and who's not, right? So I can't, you know, a, a fiduciary pledge is not a legal fiduciary standard. That's what I'm getting right. at. Mm-hmm. Which incidentally, funny enough, this, you know, there's, there's pushback on that when it comes to planners, but I'm actually, a, I'm actually a fiduciary on multiple levels now. I've been, I've been held to a fiduciary standard with the, with the CFA for years now. I am, uh, anyone who's a portfolio manager in this country is held is a, is a, is a fiduciary as well. And I'm carrying a US CFP. I am actually held to that standard as well. And guess what? My practice is flourishing just fine. So I always, the detractors, I'm always, I'm always hesitant to have a conversation with them as to why. But the point here is, is that we're going to, when it comes to the enforcement to answer your question, it's twofold. First off, the website is going to advertise that this is a standard everybody's promising to live up to. If your advisor fails to live up to this, please let us know, right? Because that's going to be part of it. Uh, the other, because we can't, we, we can't possibly audit every last interaction between a client and an advisor. We know that, right? But the other part of it is that after two years, you will have to put forth proof that you have actually adopted some of these standards, right? So one of the things that we're, we're going to provide uh, various resources we can get into later, but some of them are templates uh, and guidelines for redeveloping the templates. So fee disclosure forms. Here's what we need to see as a minimum standard. And here's a, here's a couple of templates. Use our templates or develop your own, but you have to hit these standards. And then when we audit you, it's going to be, okay, please provide X number of copies of signed copies by your clients. And, you know, to prove you've done this, please provide, you know, we're going to, anything that we basically see as a requirement that can have a paper trail, we're going to ask you to show your work, right? Every couple of years. So Excellent. that's going to be it. It's not going to be an overly burdensome audit because frankly, we're not going to have the manpower. And secondly, we don't want to burden people, but we want to prove they're doing the bare minimum they're supposed to be doing, which frankly is significantly higher than the current industry imposes upon them anyway. Right. You need to basically have a certain level 
level of audit because otherwise you can't well you you're not going to be able to provide a standard or claim that you have the standard that uh, basically is set out in charter but again having a zero tolerance point specifically around the fiduciary pledge is is, is paramount right yeah. like we take that to be the gold standard the most serious thing you're doing you're saying you're going to act in such a manner if if the client comes forth and proves you did otherwise i'm sorry goodbye and you're never getting back in right so about fiduciary standard i understand this is just a pledge but do you see there could be certain roadblocks when it comes to for example employers right because they're one aspect i mean it's a, it's a tough question i understand that but it's uh, you know let's talk about the hard things right at the right at the outset right you know there are dealers there are different associations there you know there are different employers who basically put and have certain expectations from their employees right how do you think about that so i think that there are so in general I think that even at the worst of companies with the worst incentives, I'm not going to name names or large institutions with certain towers downtown, <laughs> the, the, you know, there, there are people who are able to do a good job in the bat in the worst of circumstances, right? That's the reality. And I've known these people. Like I have, I have a lot of young advisors reach out to me for guidance in the industry. And many of them are like, you know, can I do this sort of thing in a company like this? Or is yes, but it's going to be difficult. Right. And mm -hmm. it's going to basically mean, you know, the things that you're incentivized to get compensated on, you don't get compensated. Right. It's going to be that case. So I don't get me wrong. I, I do not diminish the fact that there is a difficulty there. There are some people whose institutions because of this may not allow them to publicly advertise that they're part of the association. That's fine. We, we're going to let them turn off their profile to the public. But the reality is we have, we faced a choice on this panel. We faced a choice was, do we keep good people out of the association and, 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 and not help them develop a better situation and both push for change within their companies, or if they can't accomplish it, leave and be able to basically operate at a higher standard and help them help them on that route. Do we keep those people out of the association or do we let them in? Right. And still holding that standard, but basically have an understanding that, you know what, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be handcuffed and we get that. And, you know, but two things, either you need to advocate for this kind of change or you need to get that. You get at some point, you got to cut bait if you can't do what you can do. I mean, right. like I've had people say that at a certain point, if you feel that you are unable to service the clients in the best interest because of what's being imposed upon by your employers, then I quite honestly, you're either complicit or you need to go. Like it's one or the other. There's only one outcome for sure. Okay. makes sense. And I appreciate the fact that you're not trying to exclude people that basically by, by the fact that they're putting certain structures, they won't be able to comply or, or basically they will be part of it. Okay. So let's talk about some of the benefits to the advisors, because I mean, apart from doing something, doing the right thing and supporting the right movement, what are some of the some of the benefits that uh, you know we, we maybe just touched on earlier, right? The evidence based uh, planning and like what kind of support, what kind of benefits you see those advisors who would be part of the association would uh, would receive? Yeah, and this is about community and building. We're not going to be able to build the industry up if we don't provide the resources to do that. So we have a couple of major initiatives planned that are going to slowly start to roll out post launch because these things take time, unfortunately. But we are going to get them done. So one is a live, well, for lack of a better term, best practices wiki, where essentially It'll be curated. So we are going to spell out, take best practices from wherever we can find it and distill it down to the kind of the few that work and basically spell out, here's a guide for how to run your practice start to finish. And as things change and people challenge us on it, there will be curators responsible for like, you know what, that is a better way or that does work better. And we will modify accordingly so that this thing never goes stagnant. That's very important, right? Because oftentimes we'll see books on practice management where, you know, they're still talking about fax marketing, <laughs> you know, like at a, at a certain point, you know, we got to move beyond that. And then, yeah, in addition to that, we're also planning something called the planning portal, which is kind of a hybrid of a almost academic journal slash concept library, where we want to basically post 
the how-to on everything, right? So for one example is, you know, you want to, you've never executed an individual pension plan. You want to know about it, right? So here is the definitive article on what it is, where it fits, how to implement one, tools and calculators and, and fact finders, who to go to, how to project these in financial planning softwares. Basically, anything you would need to do to achieve one and model one, improve one would be there. In addition to that, when I say the journal side would be, okay, so where's the proof that something like, well, when should you use an RSP versus TFSA? Is there research done on this? If there is, where is that? Can we, we can post that there and basically start to build a large body of knowledge that is, again, maintained and curated. And as things become irrelevant or change, it gets edited out and changed, right? We want to create this one kind of one go-to repository of the best knowledge you possibly can so that essentially we're showing you, hey, this is how you run your practice and this is how you actually financially plan, right? This is how you do all these different concepts. And then we move on to uh, you know another, another post-launch uh, uh, initiative, which won't launch off, out of the gate, but we're looking to create a large online forum. So I am a member of the, uh, again, the, the FPA in the US and their forums are spectacular. Every morning I get a digest of somewhere between, between five and 12 different topics that have been discussed by advisors and everything from, you know, this is a complex tax question. How do I handle this? Or here's a practice management issue. How do I handle this? Or software reviews or referrals and just being able to tap upon the goodwill of the good advisors out there so we can, show, so we can basically help each other and raise these standards. So that's another initiative that we're basically uh, going to going to help to build their practice and then giving them opportunities for giving back. You know, we're organizing a pro bono community uh, because there's not, you know, frankly, I've spoken to advisors in the past who've talked about there's no, you know, there's limited, there's limited organization around this, right? So we want to help create bodies of knowledge around, you know, helping people in, in difficult situations and low incomes. This kind of stuff we don't see every day, right? A lot of the stuff that we see every day is, is irrelevant to these people. So how do we how do we coach them and help them and then and then work with uh, community organizations to basically make our members available to them? So really, this is about like I said for them, it's about a couple of things: being able to to slap a badge on your on your website that makes that you're proud to, to say that you're standing up for you know fiduciary level evidence based planning and the moving forward of this industry. Hopefully, attract attention to our site through that and basically build your business, but also give you everything you need to build your business both through both through the resources we're going to put online the body of knowledge we're going to help uh, help uh, support and you know give you opportunities to give back in line that we hope to deliver in the future but again this is going to like to say with this association it's going to it's going to move as fast and as strong as as the members are willing to invest the time and effort in order to make it happen absolutely i mean you have extremely lofty goals especially when i when i looked at evidence based planning i mean this we've done or actually attempted to do do a small project on best practices in Canadian retirement planning and I started interviewing advisors in the hopes of creating a, a structure and process that is fairly uniform. And after several interviews, I am hearing that everybody has different approaches. I basically yeah. gave up. So, so just even in, but a lot of it isn't uniform, right? Absolutely. Like a lot of it is. That's why I said multiple ways, right? Like you know, one of the things we're going to talk about is like how to how to pick your market, right? Like and, and then and then a lot of that informs the decisions you make after that, right? So it's Absolutely. not so much about here's the one way to run your business. It's like here's how you can deliver financial planning, you know, comprehensively, modularly, light versions, complex versions, you know, talk about like the key points of how you do each of those, right? And, and lets you kind of piece together how to run your practice and what you feel is the best offering that you're going to be able to put forward. Absolutely, because you have to basically start with, you know, what kind of practice you want to build. And then you basically look at what kind of knowledge, you can, what, kind of, what kind of systems, what kind of uh, technology you need to basically implement that. So 
And uh, again, I mean, this is uh, this is a large initiative, and you know, uh, some 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 people may not think this is a large initiative, but oh, it's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge, huge, enormous initiative. So, okay, so you mentioned just a little bit about a couple of different just different areas, but I want to talk about memberships because uh, yep. we'll we'll get to you know how people can actually help uh, support this uh, this movement because it's more an association association as I see it, it's more of a movement. So, tell me what certain levels of uh, what uh, membership, what is the whatever membership categories, what's uh, what is available at this point. Sure. So the first is the full membership and full members are practicing CFP, RFPs or plan financier. I know I'm going to butcher that. My wife is French Canadian. She's giving me crap for it. But the financial plan designation in Quebec, which by the way, Quebec, two thumbs up. Great job in, in securing that as a, as, a, as a valid professional designation. So those three and being a practicing financial planner, that is one of those three and being a financial planner, that's what qualifies you for full membership. The next level down is associate member. So associate member is you are currently registered to basically take those examinations, one or multiple, or you are registered to or completed the qualified advanced financial, uh, sorry, qualified associate financial planning designation uh, that FP Canada is putting out. And really, originally, we didn't have that in there, but we edited it. We basically added it after a conversation with FP Canada as to what the intent for the QAFP was. And the argument is, hey, you have, you know, doctors have nurses, lawyers have paralegals, you know, accountants have bookkeepers, and there's a certain lower, you know, more rudimentary level financial plan does not require the, the as large a body of knowledge. And these people can assist and associate, uh, you know, it can basically be the backup to a lot of planners. So we saw it as, you know what, if we don't include this, this, what's going to be a very valid designation going forward, probably in this country, we are not helping build the ecosystem the way we should be. So that's why they were added. Incidentally, that's a model that's been adopted in most countries other than Canada and the US at this point. And then moving on, uh, we have an emeritus category for financial planners. So anyone who's a retired CFP, RFP or plan or financial planner in Quebec, they can qualify there simply because we don't want them, you know, you may retire. We really want your body of knowledge, (laughs) like so. So please stay and give back if you can. And then the last one is the the affiliate category, and this is for other other people in the ecosystem. So specifically, thank you for creating this category. Yes, thank you. Well, I'm not going to create create some to exclude you, pal. So so uh, software providers, lawyers, actuaries, academics, like anyone who's got a vested interest in in the industry getting better and co-op and works with works with us is in there. With the one exclusion of product suppliers, we do not want this to be a become beholden to product manufacturing because there's enough of that out there, quite honestly. So that those are the four categories, and and basically, you know, you can graduate from one to another to another. But we're we're taking it very seriously, and we want uh, we want to basically attract people who want to change change the industry. Absolutely. So, what has been the reception so far in the industry? <laughs> so. <laughs> So I'm going to say that I'm going to preface this by saying that it was a select group. So we initially did a soft launch in the spring to about 200 people on an invitation list. And about 100 of those were given to me by a writer uh, who keeps a list of of fee-only planners. And so some of them I had no idea who they were. So we had about 150 people attend a webinar on a create. This is why it's necessary. Now, this is why the time is now. And frankly, we need to step forward, all of us, and do something. And, And frankly... You know, if you're going to be a part of this, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to volunteer time and we need you to help volunteer some capital and paying your membership dues up front so we can, you know, put up the website, pay for legals, get all this thing, get this entire thing going. And I'm happy to say that to date we have over 100 members prior to launch, which was the goal. Congrats. Thank you. And the support in general has been overwhelmingly positive. Media in general has, all, has been very positively uh, supporting this. A lot, of, a lot of key players in the industry in many ways have been positively supporting this. And essentially, 
you know, these, there's been a couple of negative emails, but as expected, yeah, as expected, you know, you can't, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. One of the reasons are kind of head scratchers. Some of them are pretty obvious, you know, people didn't want to give them a deferred sales charge, but uh, it is what it is. So overall, you know, overwhelmingly positive. I don't expect that to be the same from the entire advisor community, right? Like it was selective, but I do hope that uh, once we launch, we manage to attract a sufficient mass that we, uh, you know, that, that the, the powers that be have to give us an ear. Yeah, I think that just over 100 advisors at this point, uh, early stages, I think that's that's a huge success already. And I think this is going to basically be a really good indicator on, on how important this initiative is. And again, it's it's so incredible, incredibly hard to start something from, from zero to basically start move the boulder uphill. And, and you're just in the space. So it is a specific task. Yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic. So, of course, people can support you and the, the whole association, the whole movement, basically, through membership. But uh, what else can people do to help spread the word about the association, advisors or consumers? Yeah. So, once we get once we get going, you know, once we get going, the website's going to basically add, you know be up for anyone who meets the criteria to join. We are still early early going, so we're hoping to slowly launch out different uh, different resources over time. But some of the other bigger things we want to get into is we want to create regional groups uh, where people can meet and collaborate with people in their area who are like minded. I mean, one of the big reasons that I started this thing was I, you know, I will have sit downs or calls from with young advisors on a weekly basis at this point who find me either through the podcast or whatever else. And I was just tired of these people not having their own tribe. You know, it was, it's nice that they're coming to me for support, but there's so many other good people out there they can learn from. So let's give it to them. So that's, that's one of the things. Also get involved and volunteer. I mean, like this is, this is a monumental sufficient task to push this ball up the hill. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of bodies to do it. So I am happy to take on anyone who's willing to help with the cause to volunteer and those opportunities for volunteering will exist. So as for the public, uh, you know what, start asking, you know, learn, take the time to see what it is we stand for. Take a look at our charter. Take a look at the standards we're basically seeing out there and ask yourself, is your current financial planner or advisor doing that? And frankly, we want to get to the point where, where people are basically saying to their planners, have you signed this pledge? Are you a member of this association? Because if you're not, why not? Right. And what, what that better be a pretty darn good answer, quite honestly. Right. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're choosing not to join an association that is literally taking a fiduciary pledge to act in my best interest. Well, you know, give me a reason why you would do that. So that's, that's the goal. We want to get to a tipping point where people, you know, where the general public starts asking about this to their, to their current advisor body. And you know what? The right advisors are going to hear that and be like, it's a good point. Look into it and hopefully join. The wrong advisors are going to be put on the spot. Absolutely. And of course, it's going to, you know, it's going to be natural. The bell curve of uh, diffusion of innovation, you will have early adopters. They will have, you know, you will have early majority, late majority, and then some people that basically will have no choice but join later. So, but this is, this is all training in the right, uh, right, right direction. So if anyone wants to jump, jump on board and be a member of FPAC at this point, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach either you or other people who are involved or get on the email list or simply learn more? So the website should be up for the 19th, knock on wood. That's the public launch date. We're going to launch during financial planning week. And I was just talking to developers today and that's the goal. So by then, uh, the actual, the charter will be up there. Some basic information will be up there and the sign up form should be up. So you can go ahead and, uh, and by all means join, if you have more information, if you need more information, there will be web uh, email addresses up there and the off chance 
that if you don't have it up in time, you can reach out to me at jason.perera at fbacanada.com or you can Google me and find me that way. Um, I also, there's another six members in the launch group and uh, 12 members, to- sorry, 10 members total on the board who will be happy to answer questions. But really, you know, like again, I'm, I'm anyone who's willing to take the time to consider so I'm willing to take the time to, to explain why they should join. Absolutely. And we'll link the website, the charter and everything else which we just discussed. So Jason, thank you very much for coming to the show to share more about the new association and uh, you know, thank you on behalf of all advisors and, and really, frankly, consumers for doing what you're doing. I, I know, as, as I said, it's already a couple of times, incredibly, incredibly hard work. And I know I really applaud you and others who work with you on taking on this challenge. So thank good you. luck. And I'll, I'll keep fingers crossed for, for the public launch. Thank you. And thank you for helping get the word out. And, and you know, and I'm going to put this to shout out. My, my launch team has been incredible. They've been with me for over a year getting all this together and you know we wouldn't be wouldn't be there without them and you know if we uh we keep we keep trudging on despite the amount of work this is going to be so thank you thanks so much take care take care that's it for this episode if you enjoyed it i would really appreciate if you left us a great review in itunes because that helps us get discovered and if you want to get in touch with us please email podcast at snapprojections.com Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.